Scarves Around the Funnel, brought to you by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs. Getting noticed isn't always easy, because there's so much noise! But at Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, we make it easy. With standout signs, business cards, shop fronts, banners, leaflets, vehicle graphics, the lot. Showcasing your products, advertising your brand, and getting business noticed. So, what can we do for you? Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. to Andy Kirk through ball to Mark De Vries a chance for Haas De Vries round the keeper and that's the minute Mark De Vries 2-2 Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club last week we were accentuating the positives Unfortunately, this week, we're going to have to emphasise the negatives. A couple of games, but it just changes a lot of the feeling around hearts just now. I'm Laurie Dunsire, joined again by Mark Donaldson. And we were hoping, Mark, when we were kind of hoping, we were trying to stay positive. A few wins on the board, a foundation to build on. But these things can turn very quickly, can't they, in football? Yeah, this would have been the better week for the quiz, wouldn't it? Upbeat and funny and chirpy and cheerful. Instead, it's two defeats to look back on. And I, I don't know about you two. I'm going to start by saying, first of all, I had a, a commentary game um, on Saturday at the same time. I was doing Betis against Real Madrid. So I caught the highlights of it. So the, the main crux of the, the football conversation will hopefully be between you and Scott. And, and look, I was pissed off that we conceded a late goal, but I was more angry at the Rangers' result and the manner of the Rangers' result, especially in the second half. So we can get into that. Um, I'm mm-hmm. just pissed off at the two of them. And it's not like we expected six points. Um, I just, I expected better. And I, I've been thinking about how can, how can we make this a positive episode? I think we have to make this a realistic episode. I mean, you put lipstick on a bulldog, it's still a bulldog, right? So this has been a... a, November was a good month. We did what we had to do, and they deserve the praise that they got, and they deserve the Manager of the Month award that they got. But there has to be criticism for what we've seen over the past couple of games. Neither does. And um, joining us to assist with that criticism, someone who did put themselves through the, the torture of <laughs> certainly the second half of the weekend. Um, Scott McIntosh, how are you doing? Yeah, very well. Uh, thanks very much, guys. I, it's fair to say that the the manager of the month curse has certainly already started to strike and we're, we're only on the 11th of December, so let's see how it looks at the end of the month. Well, yeah, I mean, Eric Den Haag also uh, got it, didn't he? And he, he probably wouldn't have been far off getting sacked in the next game. I think yeah. after after Manchester United's result at the weekend, but we're not here to speak about Manchester United's demise and problems. We're we're here to talk about Hearts. We will discuss 
Heart of Midlothian against Aberdeen. That'll be the main focus. That's been the most recent game, of course. We will touch upon the, the Rangers match as well, not in as much detail, though. Um, uh, before that, just looking looking at the latest news, it's interesting. You know, you know, we'll talk about what's happening on the pitch, but um, reveal that both Benny Beringame and Craig Halkett have been offered new deals. This is being revealed over the last few days since the weekend. Um, but neither have responded. This apparently has been ongoing, so it's been quite a while. I think it was talked about being five, six weeks ago. They've both been offering new deals, but no response. Um, sometimes a little bit of a concern, Mark. I mean, two players that have been important players when they've been at their best for Hearts, but also two players who've missed a huge amount of football. So, I mean, I saw mixed feelings about this when I was looking online on social media, which is sometimes a dangerous thing to do. I don't know don't know what you make of it. I don't know if it's maybe just a sign that not everything is well, not all the players are entirely buying into where we're going just now. I'm not sure why this would have been leaked. I'm not sure why this would have come out by whichever way it did. It's basically saying, oh, we, we've spoken to them, but they haven't done anything about that. That basically makes you look stupid. And if I'm them, I'm not signing anything right now. I'm two weeks, three weeks away from potentially seeing what else is out there. Now, common courtesy would suggest a thank you. We'll let you know or we'll consider it or, or whatever. But we, we don't know. I mean, the fact that this has got out, and I have no idea how it's 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 got out, um, I believe it to be true, um, is a bit worrying. And I don't think it shows the football club in the best of lights. But if I'm representing Benny Beningamy or Craig Halkett, I'm saying, hold on, just see what see what else is out there in January. See, see I mean, obviously they're going to listen to see what Hearts have to say um, as an employer. I mean, that, that's total folly on any agent's behalf not to, to kind of listen and hear what Hearts have to say. Um, but the fact that this has come out is a bit of a strange one for me. Scott, in terms of those two players, I, I don't know what you make of new deals being offered or the fact that it's not something that's been um, responded to from from what's being reported just now. I don't know how you find this situation. I, I, I mean, I think it's 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 probably pretty standard, although we don't hear it every every December, it's probably quite standard for players if they are in a position of being offered a contract prior to their you know, prior to that sort of window of opportunity for them to sign pre-contracts come up for them to sit on it. I would imagine this is pretty common practice. I think we are probably we're probably reading quite a lot into it because of the current state of play on the park. So like Mark's saying there, you know, is it potentially re reflecting on uh, a failure to buy into what's going on within the, the current management setup? Is it, you know, is, is there other things at play? I don't, it probably isn't. It probably is pretty bog standard for players to be told by their agents that, you know, it's middle of December, Let's sit on it for a few weeks. Let's see if anything else does come in. I, I think in particular with Beningamy, you know, there, there probably is that case of let's see if there is any sort of bites from 
you know, potentially championship clubs. I'm not saying there would be, given the fact that, you know, he's he's, he's on a very long recovery uh, after a, a very lengthy layoff, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me for an agent to be sort of filling them with that, that sort of information. I mean, that's not... That's nothing new. I mean, I remember even going back, well, you're you're going back 20 years now, you know, Scott Severin was coming up to the end of his Hearts contract and Darren Jackson was his agent at the time. Darren Jackson filled his head with all sorts of teams that were seemingly looking at him for down south and don't buy, you know, don't sign a contract with Hearts. X, Y and Z are going to look at you. X, Y and Z are going to offer you contracts. None of them did. Hearts had then already spent their budget and then he ended up at Aberdeen. So uh, I think agents will always try and and get the best deal possible for their clients. So to me, it's not a huge shock to hear that they're sitting on it just now. But but then also, I'm not surprised that we're we're trying to read something into it that maybe potentially isn't there either. And again, that's just indicative of of what's been you know presented to us on the pitch just now. It's leading to us probably seeing the. The cynical or negative aspect of of it, of anything that's that's happening, you know, either on or off the park just now. Right now, would you would you both want to see them get new deals if it was? If it was I think we've been me definitely. I, I do think that I've seen enough out of him. As long as he doesn't play as a number eight like he did on Saturday, but then again, that's <laughs> not his fault. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think I've seen enough out of Benny to suggest that if we can get the right system. Uh, he's done enough over the last couple of months to suggest that he can get back to where he was, sort of pre-injury. Take Halkett's a bit of a, a difficult one because this isn't the first long-term injury that he's had in his career. No. If you consider his age as well, then I think finances would need to play a, f- a factor in this. I think Hearts would be within the rights to look at how much they have been paying him and maybe suggest that you know, he, he doesn't hold that value just now. Now, at the same point, he might think, well, I've been at the club now coming up for five years, so I actually do think that I'm, I'm worth X, Y, or Z, and maybe that's why there's a bit of a sticking point just now. So with Halka, I'm, I'm possibly sitting on the fence with that one just now to see how things, you know, carry on over the next few months. With Benny, I think it's right that we try and offer him a deal because, again, I, I fit Benny as someone who potentially you could still make money on further down the line. Mark, how about you? Halkett, Bedingame, players you'd want to see with extended deals at Hearts, if, if that was yes. the way it went? Yes, because someone, I mean, if, if Craig Halkett ends up elsewhere, someone's going to have to take, and there's not a chance that he gets back to, to where he was. My biggest point here is I want them both to stay because I don't trust those that we have in place recruitment-wise, to get better than Benny Beningame and Craig Halkett, given their track record. So why are we trying to replace Benny Beningame and Craig Halkett when ultimately, if we can keep them there, there's more chance of them being successful, in my opinion, than our recruitment staff bringing in two better options than Benny Beningame and Craig Halkett, just purely based on what's been brought in so far. Because if you're asking them to go two for two, if Benny Beningame goes and Craig Halkett goes, or they decide that, okay, well, fine, we're like Josh Chinelli did. It's totally up to the player and the representative what they want to do. I'd like to see them both coming. But given our track record, if you think we can go two for two 
and a 100% record if it comes to replacing both Benny Beningami and Craig Halkett. I would severely doubt that that is the case. Fair enough. We'll see how that one pans out, I'm sure, over the next few weeks and certainly into January. Um, but um, without further ado, let's crack on with the podcast. You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. We'll talk briefly about the Rangers game. You know, it's been you know, almost a week by the time this goes out that the game took place, and we've got a game since then. So I'm not going to do a deep analysis, talk about the team too much. But um, a 1-0 defeat to Rangers, like it's not uncommon for Hearts to falter in these games against either half of the gruesome twosome from Glasgow. But Mark, you were um, quite unhappy about this one, weren't you, afterwards? Uh, far, far more unhappy than I feel like I was after full time. Yeah. Now I understand, I probably have, but when I used to be the one that would put a microphone in the face of a of a manager 10 minutes after a game and, and wonder why they were so fed up or annoyed or or whatever. I, I get that. And and look, I, I sent a message after that game um, and it was basically a rant. But do you know what? I, I stand by that. I just, it's the same, it's the same old broken record. It's the same narrative. And yeah, we, we played some all right stuff in the first half, but they are pish. This, this is the most annoying thing. You see Aberdeen, beating Rangers at Ibrox and coming close to beating them at home. Um, but they stupidly did what we stupidly did at Ibrox um, at Pataudry and, and tugged the jersey and, and gave them uh, a lifeline. You see Kilmarnock beating Celtic, yet when hearts go up against the old firm. And look, that, when I say that they're, they're pressure, they are not what they used to be. They are there for the taking. And... I, it just it got me. The second half got me. The fact that an, a, a slightly better than average Rangers side, which was still much better than Hearts, could easily have won by four or five in that game had it not been for some dreadful finishing from Danilo and others or some good defending or a couple of good saves or, or whatever. They, they could have been out of sight. But it's the same story. And I don't know. I mean, I, I feel I'm falling into this trap. And this is me being super self-critical of riding the crest of a wave when we get the Manager of the Month award and we've just won four in a row, and then saying, what is wrong with our club when we when we lose back-to-back games? I can't preach, let's let's have a bit of, of kind of um, normality about this. Don't get too high, don't get too low, when that's what exactly what I'm guilty of as well. But as I said, that Rangers game frustrated me more, and both frustrated me a lot, but the manner of that, the second half, and... It's just, I'm just pissed off right now. And I'm annoyed at the fact that I'm pissed off because I was really happy after we'd gone four in a row. So maybe that's more on me than it is on Hearts or Stephen Naismith or players or anything like that. But I, I'm living vicariously through you, through Scott, through everybody else that goes to the games because I'm over here and I'm far away. It's not like I could do anything if I was over there. But at least I could be there and I could shout or I could give my support or castigate or, or whatever fans do it's just that rangers game just really annoyed me and that they didn't have to be i mean when, when you've got your rangers pals in a whatsapp group saying we've not played this bad in ages that tells you quite a lot that's damning on hearts 
I know what you're saying. I think in terms of our last episode and in recent weeks, well, we kind of did caveat that in the episode. You know, in the summer we were um, not negative, but we were quite pessimistic about the managerial appointment and the season ahead. I think safe to say, Mark. And you know, we had a few people had a few jibes at us that we were focusing on the negative that um, that you know the season hadn't even kicked off, signings hadn't even. I guess had a chance to do their thing, so you know we tried to reel it back in. And I think we said last time that you know we weren't we weren't claiming that we were playing brilliant football, but if you're getting results and you get four in a row, it's something to be positive about. And we didn't want to just be a podcast that every week is moaning or focusing on the negative. So that's why last week, as we said, the the theme was accentuating the positives. However, um, I think Scott, you have mentioned this before. We've probably all mentioned it before. One of the difficulties when you're winning games and there's not a discernible I guess approach that seems to be getting you through that there's not a very attractive manner of playing as soon as the results stop coming uh, you are left open to criticism aren't you and that I, I get, that's what we're kind of that's the situation we're in just now isn't it um, yeah if you find out a win it's fine we're not going to moan about winning a game but if it's not good to watch, then you're not leaving yourself much margin for error when you can't get a 1-0 victory. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned this last week. It's There's no credit in the bank because you're winning games that A, you're expected to win anyway, but you're not doing it with any sort of identifiable style or any sort of tempo to the game. So there's nothing to really get the fans' blood pumping. And because of that... When you inevitably come short in games, and, and and I've said this now over the last few weeks, it's fast becoming a season of fine margins. And we're going to go through spells where, like we did during that four-game spell, the fine margins work in our favour and we win by the odd goal. Or we're going to go through spells like we seem to be going through just now. And let's face it, with the runny games we've got coming up, potentially could continue to go on, where we're maybe not getting scalped by teams because of the way that we set up, but we're also not really offering anything to suggest that we can just turn the screw and sort of reverse it. So this this was always going to be the danger with that four-game spell. It, it doesn't hold weight to any sort of long-term scrutiny because there's nothing for the fans to say, well, we've lost two or three games, but... I've noticed player A come onto a game or I've noticed there was a spell in that game where we were doing something that, that offers me hope that if we can do that over 90 minutes, we'll be fine long term. But none of these things are happening just now. So it's very it's very easy for the fans to then start to lose a little bit of hope. And I'm like you guys, I don't I don't take any I don't take any joy out of being so sort of pessimistic or cynical about what's going on on the pitch just now. But unfortunately, sometimes all you can do is react to what you see with your eyes. And I think that's all we're doing just now. We're just trying to fairly analyse the games. I think, I think over the piece, we have identified where we've went right this season if you compare it to where we were last year in terms of defensively, particularly our shape out of possession and how we're defending as a unit, I think we've we've made a point of 
of praising the team and the backroom staff in that respect. But unfortunately, it's it's coming as su it's such a cost just now that it's very difficult to just keep pretending that it isn't there. And and again, you know, we're we're at mid December, and if you count the interim spell as boss, you're talking eight months. And the fact that we can't see an identifiable style of play or any patterns in play in possession, yet Hibs have had a manager for two months, and I've watched four or five games that Hibs have played under Montgomery, and I can see that style. And that concerns me, and that is worth talking about, and that is, I think, that is worthy of Hearts fans being concerned, and I think mm. they're valid. I think they're right to be concerned, and I don't... I don't buy into this thing about because I know some of the pushback just now, and I know that the AGM's coming up on Thursday, and it might rear its head again. A lot will be made about, well, you know, we reacted to the the kickback polls, and we reacted to this. You can't blame the Hearts fans for reacting the way they did, because during that seven game spell, there was, you know, green shoots of recovery. There was things in an attacking sense that we felt that we could hold on to. So if you're one of that 80% that was back in Naismith during the summer, but you're thinking, well, I, I can't see it now, don't like don't take that in a negative standpoint. All you're doing is using your two eyes and just reacting to that. And, and I think just now you can see it with each passing game, and I would say more so with Saturday than with Wednesday's result. I've seen a huge shift and some fans, and even some fans that maybe don't want to, you know, start thinking this way. I think a lot of people are now starting to see that end game, and it's now, you know, we each passing game starting to become more about when rather than if, and uh, and unfortunately that's a situation that we've we've created for ourselves due to some poor decision making, and I'm not even laying that at Stephen Naismith's door. Ultimately, Stephen Naismith. If you're going to get offered a, a gig at Hearts, you're going to take it. And then, you know, in an ideal world, he would get two seasons or he'd at least get two or three transfer windows to try and implement his style of play. But unfortunately, we don't live in those times now, nowadays. And owners and CEOs and sporting directors of football clubs should not be naive to think that you do get that time. So when you hire a rookie manager, you should know the risk that comes with it. And ultimately, that's what's happening just now. Well said. I've got a couple of points, if you don't mind, Laurie, that I would like to raise, following on from what Scott has said. Um, number one, I listened back a couple of times to one or two podcasts we did um, when Stephen Naismith was first appointed. And we were talking about what would be acceptable. What do you think he needs to have a chance getting this job? We both agreed he probably needs to win the majority of the games, uh, perform well to have a chance. And, and ultimately that didn't happen, but he still gets appointed. Point two, Craig Levine. Listen to him on a podcast later. And I've known Craig since he was at Harps. And I actually did a piece uh, in the Edinburgh Evening News from his first ever game. As a manager, Cowdenbeath at Albion Rovers. No one else was going. I phoned up whoever was at the sports head at the time and said, "Look, I'm, I'm going to go for Radio Fourth. Do you want me to? Do you want me to do stuff for the for the paper?" It was just a couple hundred words. Anyway, subsequent to that, we sat down and and he said it recently in a podcast as well. That was brilliant for him being at Cowdenbeath because he made all his mistakes. He was a rookie 
manager is a very, very good player, an international player as well. But he said managing was totally different and he was a rookie at it. But that was great because it was out of sight, out of mind. He only had one or two angry people at Central Park and a chairman um, to have to defend his actions too. He said, so in his first managerial job, that was where he learned so much, but he learned on the job and he made so many mistakes as well, but he got away with those mistakes. That's point two. Point three, a QPR fan at work. Brothers of season ticket holders. We speak about QPR every week on a WhatsApp chat because I speak to him about hearts. He always wants to know how hearts are doing. I ask him about QPR. Sifuentes is there. This has made things interesting. So every week, how's he getting on? They won at the weekend again. He said, they're loving it. They're, they're, absolutely, they're loving the style of play that he's trying to do. They're loving his character. They're loving the fact he's bought into it. He could have been ours, but he's not. We went with a cheap option, an inexperienced option instead. Look, we all make mistakes, but why did we allow that one to get away? And the fourth and final point, this is a league it does not take much to finish third. Everybody's beating everybody else. We were more consistent than anybody else a couple of years ago and pissed third, finished miles clear of whoever was next. It was never really in doubt. We should have done that last year as well. But you've got games where the bottom team beat the team in fourth. The team that's 11th beat the team that's third or, or whatever. That happened at the weekend. Aberdeen beat Hearts. It does not take much to finish third. It takes consistency. It takes ability. We have ability, but we don't have consistency. And while that ability is there, does it have the right coaching staff to improve that ability? Where's the examples of... He's much better now under Stephen Naismith or he was much better under Robbie Nielsen or whatever. I don't think we have that as well. And I agree with Scott regarding him saying that it's not Stephen Naismith's fault. I would have done exactly the same. Everybody listening to this would have done exactly the same and try and put yourself in the best light possible if Hearts came to you and said, fancy being the manager, give us a spiel. What can you do? So good on Stephen Naismith for getting the job and proving to the Hearts board that, in their opinion, he was the right manager for the job. But I'm not convinced. And unfortunately, although he's done what he can to get the job, I think this is entirely incumbent on the Hearts board or whoever made the decision that Stephen Naismith was the right man for the job. Because what are we doing right now? We're treading water. And I think we'll continue to do so. Great wins. Good wins will be nice. We'll enjoy our weekend. But then we're always one or two defeats away from this. We got some emails over the past few weeks, and I, I did mention it on the podcast that I kind of shelved them because they were um, they were looking at um, criticism, which is which is fair enough. But I think you know I said last week we were looking to try and focus on what we've seen from the positive side of things. But I said, look, we'll maybe revisit them. So I've got a couple of emails I'm going to revisit. Um, and I'm, I'm going to go with one just now, then we'll get to the Aberdeen game. So the first one was from Connor Cranston a couple of weeks ago. And he said, um, on the current situation, the results are looking up a wee bit, but performances are dross. I think that's our dross, two words. I just realised I made that one word, our dross. Um, I think Naismith is at the disadvantage as, as having a massive section of the fan base to try and get on side and nothing will ever be good enough in some fans' eyes. 
I count myself in this as someone who never wanted Naismith in the gig originally. I can't say I'm enamoured even by the recent upturn in results. The promise of attacking free-flowing football hasn't really come to anything. As you've said over the past few weeks, it's reminiscent of Robbie's unbeaten streak last January and February, which papered over the cracks. As a Hearts fan, I want every Hearts manager to succeed, but I still don't believe Naismith is the man for us long term. All the best, corner. Scott, we, we hear this quite a bit about um I guess the style of play and you know Connor does mention the promise of attacking free flowing football and that's that's quite right that that's what we were promised. Now how much how much does style and the way we play come into this? You know, is it a case of do you know we bought into the Daniel Stendel idea and I include myself in that and this podcast, you know, we we really bought into it and um it didn't work, you know, it proved to be quite naive a lot of it. And that's not to say that another manager could implement a different style, but do we get caught up too much in the style? Or do you think it would be beneficial that Hearts say, look, we are employing this coach, this is the style, that is why we're employing him. Um, and to go that way, and then rightly or you know, give it time. You know, we've seen, you know, seen in other countries, you've seen England likes of Brighton, have seen the ups and downs of committing to a style. And I, I say Brighton because they're a team that are in a league where they are going to be up against it in certain games. You know, you can talk about Man City or Liverpool having a style slightly different for them. Do you think if we committed to that kind of thing again, that would appease fans and be successful long-term? Or do we get caught up too much in that side of things? Well, it's, it's a difficult one. And I think I want to preface this by saying that this is all my personal preference as a fan. I don't want to claim to be speaking on behalf of the majority or even the minority of Hearts fans. We've all got our, our own idea about what we want to see in terms of style of play. I think for me, where fans sometimes get a little bit confused or mixed up is that when there's a, a case put forward by a supporter about style of play and they sort of aim that as a a sort of a charge on the rap sheet for Stephen Naismith or maybe previously with Robbie, people sometimes equate that to fans wanting to see something that they see from La Liga or the Premiership down south. And I don't think that's the case, or at least from my own personal point of view, that's never the case. When I'm talking about a style of play, I'm actually just asking for something that I've been given before as a Hearts fan. I think the problem the club have just now is that what we are trying to do is that we're almost trying to do what Rangers and Celtic do, but on a shoestring budget. We're trying to be very deliberate. We're trying to be very methodical. We look overcoached, I think, to a certain degree. And I don't think we have the quality or the budget to do that. And I think that's why, you know, Mark was mentioning at the beginning of the show, he was reeling off some of the, the teams like Kilmarnock and Aberdeen and that that have managed to, you know, get, get some levels of success against Rangers or Celtic over the last few months. And I don't think it's because they've got better quality players than us individually. I think the, the, the difference is, is that we almost sort of send our team out to try and match Rangers and Celtic in terms of style of play. And we've seen it at, you know, at times during the last few months, like when Naismith first came in, it's not so much happened recently, but it, you know, he wanted the inverted fullback. So, you know, very much a, a staple of, of Postacoglu when he was at Celtic and now you're seeing it at Spurs. 
and you're seeing this sort of patient build-up from the back, trying to entice the opposition out so that you can then sort of move the ball quickly, sometimes vertically, sometimes popping it in behind the back line once they start to charge up. And unfortunately, again, we just don't have the centre halves of the midfield to play that way. And it's almost as if most Hearts fans are, are are observing this and are wary of this, but the club aren't. And and this is where I get quite frustrated because, and we might come on to touch on this when we, we talk about the Aberdeen game at the weekend, but all Aberdeen done to us in the second half was play long balls and just win the yeah. second ball. That's all they've done. And for some reason, we seem incapable of playing that game. And with the budget that we've got and the, the infrastructure, we've got these revenue generators with the, the restaurant and the hotel, we've got James Anderson's backing, we've got the, the backing of the Foundation of Hearts. We are in a position where if we could just find a, a system where we're matching the teams around us for drive, physicality, athleticism from defence to midfield and then we use that additional budget that we have on the majority of the teams to sign three or four match winners that can play in the final third. I think there's a recipe there to play the sort of aggressive, high tempo, physical hearts way that, that, that the majority mm-hmm. of us have been brought up on and, and it's not that it's pleasing on the eye from a purist standpoint and the way that you see teams play down south but for a fan it's very exciting because it's very back and forth and I think that's all I want to see from a Hearts team I I don't expect a Hearts team to play like Barcelona or Real Madrid I don't even expect them to play like Rangers and Celtic if I'm being honest but I'm not even seeing us capable of playing like Kilmarnock or Aberdeen do on occasion and that's what's frustrating me just now. There seems to be a very almost naive naiveness amongst, and again, not just Naismith, because I've seen this under Robbie, and again, the recruitment tends to point to this as well when you see the style of player that we're signing, in particular in the middle of the park. We just seem to be chasing trends as a football club. And for some reason, no one's sitting there and saying, what are Hearts well known for? What are Hearts good at? What can we get back to doing? And that is the most frustrating aspect when it comes to talking about styly football at this club. And it might just be me that sees it. Hopefully it's other fans as well, but it's, yeah, it, it's it, funny. Wouldn't, it wouldn't take much to fix. That's what's really frustrating about it. It wouldn't take much to fix, but I don't see it happening under the current regime. Now, with what you're saying, um, I just saw we, we had a tweet yesterday from Sam Phillip um, who said, for the millionth time, and then he puts cap, cap locks on and says, I miss big physical hearts. Um, yeah. He said, bullied in the second half, so naive, one-man team at the moment, and the quicker Gordon and Halkett start, the more chance we have of getting a spine to the team. Still would bite your hand off for McInnes. Can I touch that was- on that, though? The bullied mm-hmm. comment? Because I know that got raised by Naismith on Saturday. I thought that was bullshit. We weren't okay. bullied on Saturday. We were playing with a midfield of two eights and a ten. And what happened was they went long in the second half. We were winning our, our fair share of the aerial duels, but we had no one in midfield picking up the scraps. And that's where we lost it. And that's fucking tactical. That's got nothing to do with being bullied. And I tell you what, if I was a Hearts player, and I've heard them come out with that, 
I wouldn't be happy. So I, I don't think that was the right word to use. I don't think we were bullied on Saturday. I think it was a tactical mistake not to react to what Aberdeen started doing in the second half. I've heard you a lot on various podcasts, and I really enjoy having you as a part of our podcast. I'm not sure I've heard you use the F word before. This is as, as annoyed as I've heard you, Scott. And, and I totally understand it as well. And we are so soft. We are so soft. We've got too many that hide. It might not be deliberate hiding, but it's like, oh, there's a battle. No, 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 let someone else do it. It's it's showing for the ball. Nah, I'm not, I don't know if I fancy this. That's that's not hearts. And the whole big physical hearts. That you're right. There is there is no identity. And Laurie's been going back and forward to you. To me, it's it's been like the Chuckle Brothers. I want to ask Laurie a question as well. Do you think there's too much snobbery from a hearts perspective? In that there's a kid at Kilmarnock, right, who was man of the match against Celtic, and he was excellent against us. Danny Armstrong. But he's a player who's played for Wraith, he's played for Dunfermline, he's tried to make it down at Wolves, it didn't quite work. He's 26 years old. Why not identify someone like that with your eyes, rather than a supercomputer that says, oh, a guy called Neuenhoff, or a guy called whoever, Tagawa, or the Japan, glorious vanity signings, or whatever the fuck that they are. We're not complaining about them if they come and they do a job. And Neuenhoff's had some games. We're still waiting on Tagawa. I get there's kind of reasons why. But it's just like, oh, let's go to the other end of the world and bring someone in. Why don't we look closer to home? Is there too much snobbery, Laurie? And just kind of saying, you know what? There's half a million. There's 750,000. If they tell us to fuck off, they're looking for two million. That's perfectly right. We can't say we want more for Shankland than Rangers might be willing to pay. And then on one hand, say that, and on the other hand, offer a derisory amount for someone like Danny Armstrong. But should we be looking closer to home, Laurie, to try and strengthen our squad with good players that have performed well on a consistent basis, but just because they play for Kilmarnock or whatever, it seems they don't check all the boxes? How about an eye test from time to time, Laurie? For me? My eyes aren't too bad. I don't know if you Not your, your, your eyes aren't the issue. But is there a snobbery aspect? Are we looking for things because they're all glamorous from some other far-flung part of the world? And I get that. Yeah. There's a place for that, but we just haven't signed very well. Yeah, but I would probably say the fans are guilty of that as well, and probably myself at times sometimes. I mean, Danny Armstrong, I think he had a great season last campaign as well, and he's having another good season. I, I think we've touched on him before. He's he's always a very good performer. I... Um, Oh, sorry, Laurie, I'll let you finish, sorry. No, feel free. No, I was, I was going to say, I don't think there's snobbery going on there. I think potentially the almost sort of petty nature of the transfer market between clubs in our country is something that the powers that be don't have an appetite for. I don't think they want to negotiate with clubs in this country. I don't think there's any appetite to feel like they're being... So he stretched financially to get certain players in from our own league. I think they would rather look abroad. I think they'd rather look and see if there's maybe a bit more value for their money. I think, unfortunately, so far, it's being positive, you would say it's a mixed bag. I think on the evidence so far with some of the guys, I think we've had more misses than hits, in particular, over the last 18 months. Uh, but I don't think it's snobbery. I, I think potentially there's 
they they maybe feel that players are being overvalued within our own market, not just in Scotland, maybe Britain as a whole, and they've possibly identified these other countries. Again, I suppose we maybe could say they are tra- chasing trends that are being uh, sort of used by other clubs, probably better as well. Uh, but again, this is where I go back to the style of play. I think if you identify players who know the league, they know what's required to win those individual battles with St Mirren and Kilmarnock and Livingston and that in terms of being resolute at the back, winning your 50-50s, playing percentage balls, winning your second balls, then you, you put the majority of your budget on your forward line so you get players with real pace, real match-winning qualities. And I do think we do have some of that in our squad. You know, if you look at... You know, Barry Mackay and Lauren Shanklin probably being the two prime examples of players who are on a budget that's out with of the majority of our league, but through individual moments are capable of, of pulling us through a game. And and I think the, the club just need to maybe try and, and be a bit more, it, it's just being a bit more basic around their transfer strategy and their, and their style of play. I don't think it needs to be as convoluted as they're trying to make it uh, but again whether that's individuals maybe trying to develop their own brand and this this is where it goes back to the Naismith appointment I completely understand that if you're a, an untested manager to some degree you'll be trying to do what's right for the club because that'll enhance your reputation but you'll also be trying to find your own brand as a manager as well because you know that longevity and, and managerial positions doesn't really exist now in football, eh, apart from the odd exception. So you're already trying to think, how do I develop a brand so that when the inevitable happens and I either leave this club or this club decides to ditch me, I can present that style to another team and get another position elsewhere. So I think there is a little bit of that that goes on as well. Rather than focus on what would work well for this league or this particular club, I think sometimes managers, in particular young managers, tend to sometimes look at developing their own identity and their own brand. And I think there's been a little bit of that that's went on. If you see how Naismith's changed his philosophy in, in the matter of mums. I think there's a lot of second guessing going on there with himself. And I don't blame him. Again, like you mentioned with Craig Levine, these are all things that Craig Levine and Jim Jeffries would have done at Galaferdine and, and Berwick and even to a degree Falkirk. So I, I think it's it, it's not great for him that he's having to do this under such a under such a huge spotlight. But again that's that's the situation we're with because of certain decisions that were made a few months ago. Plenty still to discuss, so we'll, we'll, we'll move along. Forrest Hepburn and McDonald have been making creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. For more, visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. Okay, at the weekend, Hearts travelled to Pitodre. Not a happy hunting ground, to say the least, for the men in Maroon. They faced an Aberdeen side at a ground they were without a win at in seven and a half years. Seven defeats in a row at the stadium and without a win in ten. However, they were against a side that were without a win in six matches in all competitions and they recorded just one win in their last nine home games and were sitting in the relegation playoff spot. 
ahead of kickoff. In terms of the Hearts team, there were three changes, uh, sorry, two changes, you'd say. Um, no, three changes. Get there in the end from the side that lost the Rangers. Atkinson, Grant, and Tagawa were out. Sibic, Lowry, Vargas came in. So Clark and Goals, the usual back three just now of Kingsley, Kent, and Rolls. Sibic came in with a right wing back role. Cochrane kept his place on the left side. Newenhoff and Beningame in midfield. Lowry given that number 10 spot with Vargas and Captain Shankland in attack. Now, Hearts started the game reasonably well. It was it felt like another game that was never going to be a spectacular affair or a spectacle that we'd write home about. But Hearts looking fairly solid, moving the ball around reasonably well and getting into some fairly good positions. Um, the goal came in the 20th minute. Alex Cochran with a corner and Lawrence Shankland managing to get free from the other captain, Graham Shinney, to send a diving header into the back of the net. His 12th of the season, 40 goals in 70 games now for Hearts. In front of the Richard Donald stand, which he clearly enjoyed. And that would give Hearts the lead at the break. Now, Scott, it was a half, like I say, it wasn't spectacular, but this first half, it was kind of Hearts at their best recently, wasn't it? In terms of the, the run we had, um, narrow victories, narrow margins, but being solid, it felt like we had a bit of control about the game. And you could tell from the Aberdeen fans, they were frustrated. Their side just had no cohesion at all. Yeah, I think what worked in our favour in the first half was primarily Aberdeen were trying to play from the back. And I, I don't think they've got the players to do that, particularly at centre half. And we decided to sort of match them man for man in midfield. So we had Beningame and, and uh, Neuenhoff playing either side of Lowry, who was sort of playing as an advanced 10. Now, because of that, we were actually winning the ball quite high up in the park compared to maybe what we have been doing recently, where Benny and Neuenhoff have been playing predominantly as sixes. The, the the downside of that, though, was that when we were winning the ball, even during that first 20-25 minutes where I would say we were reasonably comfortable and we were keeping Aberdeen at arm's length, we never looked capable of turning the screw and making life more difficult for them. So when we went a goal up, which, you know, albeit is probably from some shoddy marking figure, I'm shitty more than anything else, we just never looked like we could convert those sort of transitions into anything positive in terms of you know creating any real goal mouth chances uh, there was a couple of occasions during the first half an hour where we win the ball quite high up the park but the problem is the right side of our uh, of our play was Benny and Sibic and Sibic was always coming from a deeper position so he wasn't really offering much in the, in the way of support and, and Benny was doing just that thing that you, you would as a number six, he would he would win the ball and he would play it on, but then he wouldn't have that instinct to then go and follow the, the ball and sort of make any runs off it. So Shanklin would come deep, but then it's just Fargas isolated on his own, and that continued to happen and continued to happen. So even although at half-time I was relatively <clears throat> happy with what I'd seen, and and, and again, it's hard like for you get that seen. word out, wasn't it? Yeah, well, <laughs> especially off the ball, you know, we're looking okay. As soon as Aberdeen switched it in the second half, it just all changed, and we just we just never seemed to react to that, unfortunately. 
Yeah, I think that's key. You know, you, you hit the nail on the head, and he, it doesn't even need a huge tactical analysis to to see the difference in the the second half. Aberdeen booed off at half time. Myself and Rob um, on commentary actually said a few times the first half felt like uh, being the other side at Tynecastle when Hearts have been on a bad run. Um, <laughs> the home fans were just not having any slowing down of the play, any backward passes. You you know they could tell they've not had much to cheer about recently. And you know, it, it did for me. It felt a bit odd. It felt like I was at Tynecastle um, for the away side and watching all the natives getting restless and the frustration at every pass. And you could see it affecting the Aberdeen players. Their confidence was shot. But to be fair to them, the second half, um, they came out and they certainly looked like they'd either had a you know a real strong talk and a a bit of a kick up the backside, or they'd been g'd up and they'd been encouraged to the point where they'd um, they were going to show a reaction and. They did start the second half fairly strongly, albeit, as you quite rightly said, Scott, it wasn't um, rocket science what they were doing. They are just getting the ball up very quickly, playing direct, and to try to get in behind. But it caused us a lot of problems, and they were getting into dangerous areas, and it's one of those things, you, if a team can't pick up those second balls, it doesn't really matter about where your ball up the park even goes. You'll It'll get you into the final third, which Aberdeen weren't doing in the first half. Now, uh, Boyan Miofsky levels in the 53rd minute. It's very untidy. It's a ball up the park and eventually it looks like we've defended it okay. It comes back in the box. It's, it, it's a bit scrappy and in the end, Jamie McGrath sort of stabs it towards Miofsky and because he's a, a very good striker, he finishes neatly in the far corner. Now, at this point, I'm feeling like we're going to have to adjust something here because I, I already felt like this game's only going to go one way. The momentum's totally shifted. And I want to talk about something here with you, Scott. I know Mark obviously has seen the highlights of the game, so I'll probably keep this one just for you because you watched the full second half. Now, the, the changes from Naismith, 58th minute. So this is this is the immediate, this is a kind of big reaction to the goal. It's five minutes later. So uh, George Grant comes on for Alex Lowry and then Kioski Tagawa comes on for Vargas. So just shy there, Mark, a couple of changes. I understood them, to be fair. I don't know if you felt all these changes. I actually said at halftime, I thought he could have taken Lowry off and put Grant on then. So did you understand the, the thinking behind these changes and, uh, and maybe giving us a bit more in the middle? Changes were fine, but it, ultimately it was just personnel changes and what we really needed to do was was get back to some form of shape that allowed us to to sort of get control of these second balls that Aberdeen were sort of feeding off and, and getting a lot of joy out of us. And I just... I, I never saw it. A lot of the changes were kind of like for like, uh, and unfortunately, and 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 Naismith's had occasions, you know, during during the last few months where he has made some some good sort of proactive substitutions. But yeah, Saturday Saturday was not it, unfortunately. No, and that's why I want to talk about the second double change, which was fourteen minutes later, and this is one that I understood that we were getting a bit of an aerial bombardment at times where Aberdeen were going long but we we put on Halkett for Civic so Craig Halkett who's missed almost a year and we put on Aidan Denham for Callum Newenhoff and we shifted Kingsley over to the right obviously Halkett coming into the central area so it was quite a reshuffle of the back line and um, it, it did start getting me thinking back to the Edinburgh Derby where we we reshuffled everyone in defence and it just made them very disjointed and it's not to say that we were playing well at that point in the half, Aberdeen were on top. It looked like if anyone was going to win it, it would be Aberdeen. 
Um, did you understand the thinking behind this shift or were no. you a, a little bit okay that's fine because no, I, no because Kings, it, it, that, yeah we were so we were playing a relatively high light and 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 we'll come on to touch upon how that how that sort of caught us at the at the second goal but we we're playing a relatively high line so the fact that we maybe weren't winning every aerial ball wasn't an issue because Aberdeen aren't going to score by winning aerial balls 30 40 yards so they didn't need to make so many changes with the back line they, they, they didn't need to do it all they needed to do was make sure that they had players there that could deal with the drop ball or if they're worried about Aberdeen winning the majority of the aerial balls, tell your defenders to just take a couple of steps back and deal with the second ball. Tell them that it's fine. If is going to jump up and win that ball, just say, fine, let him do it or let him take a touch. That's fine. You know, he's not going to take a touch and then turn and score for 30 yards out. Just, <clears throat> I don't understand the, the, the change. Putting Kingsley at right wing back, I, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. There's an opportunity there to bring Forrest on and try and get a bit more of a an impetus going forward. Especially when you consider <coughs> he was probably one of our more promising players on Wednesday in terms of having a bit of a, a drive and, and, and running the right way. You know, running in the right direction compared to a lot of Hearts players on Wednesday. So it just seemed, again, you hit the nail on the head, Laurie. You talk about that Hibs game, on that day, the easy decision would have been to have just brought on Halliday, like for like, and only one person is being changed. But for some reason, we bring on a fire, we switch everyone over, Sibbett goes into centre-half, Rills goes over to left-back, <clears throat> and our two goals come from mistakes from the centre of the area. So, it doesn't seem to have learned from that. And, and, and this is why it annoys me that he used, he, he had the the goal to say that Saturday had nothing to do with it being tactical. It had everything to do with the tactics. And the second goal was also a tactical issue. Mark, you did get a look at the second goal, even though you, you didn't was get to... Was it safe to, to come out? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, 92nd minute, oh. Nicky Devlin plays the ball down the line and Duke for... Um, for all he's not having the as good a season as he was last campaign... He's he's fast when he when he gets going, so he's got a bit of pace about him, and it was very clear to see that Craig Halkett has been out for a year. Um, certainly didn't look like he was have any hope of keeping up with Duke Rolls already on a yellow. Obviously, couldn't make a cynical challenge at that point, and um, Duke was away from them both. We spoke about Xander Clark in the, um, previously. You can speak about him in the Rangers game. He doesn't cover himself in glory with the the goal in that one. Doesn't really cover himself in glory in this one either. It's not quite as bad as the Rangers game, but he kind of comes out, he hesitates, he then goes back, so he's not really completely in the middle of his goal. He doesn't come out to commit it. It looked like he might be sweeping the ball up. And in the end, where whether it's deliberate or not from Duke, he sets up Clarkson, who slides in for his first league goal of the season. Um a goal that just, it was very poor defensively and we have given ourselves very little margin for error, haven't we, with the way we're playing just now. Because we can't score many, um, if any, in games, it, if there is going to be an error at the back that leads to a goal, we're, we're almost sunk. Yeah, a, a couple of points. To, to follow on to what Scott said and, and your discussion about the subs, 
Why did we only make four? We brought on Denham and Halkett for Neuenhoff and Civic, 72nd minute, right? As the now famous or infamous sentence given to Stephen Naismith to Hearts TV um, in his first interview in the job, the supporters want a team that goes into every game trying to win it, not one that's going to defend and hold out for a draw or a 1-0 lead. Oda, unused. Forrest, unused. Mackay, unused. Which is understandable if you've already used five subs or you maybe got a goal lead and you want to try and tighten things up. But yeah, I, I'm not going to comment too much on the whole Denham and Halkett for Neuenhoff and Civic because, as I say, I've, I've seen the highlights. I, but when you watch highlights of a game, you can see the flow to an extent, but they are cut because you're not going to show you're not going to show two centre backs passing to a goalkeeper and, and stuff like that. Just when it's one one, bearing in mind the, the the comments that Naismith has previously made, and we've all said stuff in the past that we might think now slightly different from that. But I don't understand why we didn't make a fifth change. If your question is, did we want to get out of there with a draw? Then the answer would be absolutely yes. I don't know if Scott agrees with you. You could, well, you could tell. I, I felt like it looked like the strange thing about that though is look at how we lose the second goal. Yeah. We lose the second goal because Alex Cochran is in a position that you wouldn't associate with a left wing back if you're trying to see the game out. <clears throat> now maybe that's just an issue with Cochran, and I know that <coughs> sometimes he does have a bit of an issue from a positional sense. Uh, so he be balls coming in, uh, so he over the top of him or just in behind him. But we were actually, we were playing with a relatively high line in injury time. So I don't know, I don't know how you feel about that. Now, on this, on the surface of play, over the course of the, the sort of 20th minute up to the 90th, I think it probably is fair to say that we didn't know what to do when we went a goal up and we were probably just hoping that we could get away with a 1-0 and then when they scored a one all, But the way in which we lost the second goal was almost indicative of a team that were actually still chasing the game. So I don't know if there's a bit of naiveness there from a tactical point of view, or if it's been certain individuals not playing to what the manager wanted, and ultimately only they know. But but yeah, I thought that was quite an interesting one. I know the original question, sorry Laurie, I know the original question was about defending. What I wanted to say, and I will say, we are a, we're a much better side with Liam Boyce in the team as far as middle to front is concerned, with Lawrence Shankland. Lawrence Shankland gets, seems to get more frustrated when Boyce isn't playing. Maybe it's the, the, the lack of quality around him that he's he's got this rapport with Boyce, I get that. Um, but there's a stark drop-off between Shankland and Boyce and Shankland and, and whoever else is, is playing up there. And, and that's something we need to sort as well. Um, zero shots on target. In the second half, for Hearts. Really? Jeez. Yep. That's I, mean, I had zero in the first half. Zero for Hearts in the second half. It, it's it, it's it's maybe more the feeling I got when we were there, and it's partly because Aberdeen were so desperate to win it, and obviously they were getting they were actually getting frustrated. They felt Hearts were time wasting at one one. There was calls for them to hurry up from the the Aberdeen fans. Um, maybe just the general feeling. It, it it just felt like that sort of game where we would have been happy to get out of there with a one one draw. When it entered the kind of closing stages, but you know Scott does make a good point that the goal didn't come from a position of us sitting deep and looking to see that out. But um, our answer to it was putting Craig Halkett up front. 
So, I mean, I don't know if that really sums up where we've got to in terms of... We really are in Shabba Laszlo times, do we? It's just like Edgar Jonsson and Adrian (sighs) Dobrich getting put up front. That's where we've went. That's where we find ourselves. Our centre-back. I mean, our centre-back who's been out for almost a year gets chucked on and then eventually is put up front. I mean, Craig Levine was doing that in the League Cup matches three and a half years ago. I mean, is is this where we are? Is is this is this the type of regression that we're looking at? Where we found ourselves relegated, promoted, in a relative position of strength, and now we find ourselves pulling tactical clutching at straws that we were seeing out of Craig Levine three and a half years ago. Like it's just it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous that they've allowed this. You sound like you're going to combust. Yeah, I'm just. Kim what is? I'm I'm fed up. Probably because, and, and, and I've, I think I admitted to this either to you guys last week or when I was on with Joel doing a standard show after the Rangers game, I did admit that f- for me, when you've not been for the decision from day one, I, I accept that there's going to be a level of subconscious going on where if the glass is half full and half empty, I'm probably going to look at it from a glass half empty perspective because I was never on board with it in the first place and when we went through that four game spell I was probably seeing the potential for concern more so than some people maybe because there was that concern about Naismith from day one and it it just it annoys me that it actually is coming to fruition I I don't want this I'd love for Steve and I still hope it happens I'd love for Stephen Naismith to prove me wrong. I'd love for this team to prove me wrong. I'd love nothing more than in one or two months to be sitting there going, wow, that's been a great run of games. We've had a couple of good performances. But all the evidence from the last few months doesn't back that up, unfortunately. You're our very own Vicky Pollard. No, but, yeah, but, no, but. Just, <laughs> yeah, but. that And that that's what it is. And, and I get that. And it's... It's hard, Scott, for, for anybody. It's human nature. Something happens to everybody before they make their mind up about something, right? But once your mind is made up, it's human nature, and it's very difficult to change your mind based on something you've seen. It has to be longevity, and the, and, and the fact that there hasn't been that kind of you all want to give it. You want you all want to give every manager of the football club a chance. You can't just say at the start, "Shite," and no matter what happens, "Shite." I'm, I'm, that's it. I'm, I'm done. Well, I've, I've told the story before. Uh, David Hagen was was mine. Brian Hamilton was another one. Just, I just couldn't. It just didn't seem to. And no matter what they did, it was always yeah. And I've made my mind up, and it's hard. It's hard to do that, but at least you can be in a position to say, you know what, I got it wrong. When there's a body of evidence over a period of time that shows that there has been progression, that there has been improvement. But I think the biggest theme and the biggest topic we can take from from what we've seen, and it's not just over the past couple of days, and even in the four wins before that and the, the games before that. And Scotty, for me, managed to nail it on the head earlier when he was saying that hearts right now do not have an identity when they are on the park. You have no idea what you are going to get when you show up at Tynecastle or an away game, and that is damning.
Well, I'm going to quickly get into because I know we're we're running out of time and we haven't uh, mentioned the the wonderful next fixture we have. But I did oh, mention geez. I did mention to, to a couple of people who emailed that you know we we might come back to this if if it if it comes to that. And I'm not going to be able to get to his whole email, but Jack Waddle also sent us an email. It was quite a long one, so thank you for taking the time to to write the email to us. He was he was talking about the decision to bring in Naismith and the different people at the club in obviously positions of power and what um, what they've had in terms of their influence and their decision making that's um, had an impact on, on where we are just now um, I'll get to a, f- a few bits he said here though, he says we appointed a management team which included an academy director a coach involved in the previous field management team and an under 18s coach and you guessed it, who didn't have the required coaching badges to compete in the tournament that the clubs target every year as equaling a successful season Um he does say that anyone in the club with a position of authority must take accountability for their decision actions. Um, and bear in mind, this is this is all uh, pre-Motherwell, um, but he goes on to talk about the press conference that Naismith conducted even before that game. He says it sums up the mindset and current direction of the club, in his opinion. Um, when asked about his current situation and if he's worried about his future, he said, it's very calm and very comfortable. This need for an instant success ain't happening. Um, Jack says, comfortable shouldn't be a word that is anywhere near a club of heart standard. As a business, comfortable is dangerous. When you go into a role in the line, well, we've always done it this way. Alarm bells start ringing. And for me, they started ringing weeks, if not months ago. And if and he's entirely correct. He's in a comfortable position because no one at the club is accountable for their performances. Um, success, as he mentions, isn't overnight, but we're in November, just as close to the bottom of the table as we are to third. Obviously, that's changed slightly, but the league is still pretty congested, really. Um, but Jack says, but with clear targets in place and not just the same, uh, we want to split the old firm nonsense, then what does success look like? For fans, our most success and targets are one of the same, third place in a cup final. But when this doesn't happen, people need to be reminded of the target set. And if the wrong people are in the roles, the club's decision makers need to act and have a robust succession plan moving forward, not a cigarette packet. Unfortunately, no light at the end of the tunnel today. Um, papers over the cracks. If we win and if we lose, the board have a decision to make concerning Stephen Naismith. Obviously, we won that one, but it's interesting sometimes looking back at these points later on. Actually, in terms of what they were kind of centered around. I'll just I'll just end with what Jack says, then we can move on to Celtic. He says, but does not solve the more significant issues surrounding the club. We currently have no uh, have so many fires burning in the background that need to be addressed. The board near more fo- need more footballing knowledge, the senior leadership team and need direction and a reset, and the fans need to hear a plan. We can't keep running a business slash football club like this. I'll end with this quote, uh, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results when, in fact, the results never change is one definition of insanity. And that's from Jack Waddle. And on that note, we will move on. You're listening to Scarves and the Funnel, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. We've been a bit negative this week, so we need to end on a positive because the next fixture for Hearts is Celtic at Celtic Park. No, 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 Mark, Mark, I always get stick. I've had stick from you recently. If I predict that Hearts aren't going to win a game. Now, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Celtic, (laughs) 
I'm not even. I can reel off all the stats. There's no point because I've done it game after game against Celtic. We know we don't we don't get results against Celtic. Certainly not at Celtic Park generally. Um, so, what optimistic prediction can you give us for this coming weekend? And it, does it feel like it's even worse that Celtic just got defeated by Kilmarnock and will be a a wounded animal? Yeah, I mean, it's, they've got a game against Feyenoord that's a dead rubber, but again, they're not as good as Celtic teams of years gone by, but still far better than, than everyone else. I'm not giving you any positives or any optimism here. Two or three nil Celtic. Okay. Probably two. Probably two. two. We, we, yeah, we, as much as there's been a lot of negativity as well, I, I think we're able to be set up in a way that I don't think a team's going to come and thump us, although Rangers could have done if they had better strikers and were more clinical. Um, but that was that was an angry game and whatever. 2-0 um, Celtic, yeah. I just... No, I can't offer any positivity. And if, if you're Scott can, I'd love to hear it and I'd love to, <laughs> to know what you've been drinking or smoking or, or whatever because there's nothing that you have got to base it on that we could get a positive... Result, and you could go into this thinking, yeah, yeah, it's most like the Rangers game, isn't it? And we, well, we suggested we'd do well there, and we didn't. I think, I think Scott's been smoking something. I've heard him cough a few times. I think he's trying to numb the, numb the pain from Petardry <laughs> with uh, a, <laughs> with some herbal remedies at home. I mean, <laughs> you think about Saturday and. Snoop Dogg we, is a Celtic fan, isn't he? Sorry, <laughs> I'm going true, off. Eh? <laughs> I mean, we've we've been quite compact as a team and as a unit. Uh, we 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 have been defensively reasonably solid. I think the problem is is that Celtic provide a, a sterner test of that than any other team in the league. It's a big park. Celtic have the tools to switch the game quickly if they want to. They've not really done a lot of that under Brendan Rodgers, and I'm I'm hoping they continue to be as one-paced as they have been, because that'll, that'll help us on Saturday. But there's, there's this niggling feeling in me just now that the narrative over the next couple of weeks is going to be that we're going to try and keep faith in certain players on Saturday. So I think Xander Clark will play again. I think, you know, the, the defence will remain unchanged. I think uh, Lowry, Grant, those types of guys will all get a chance. So I think Mackay and Halkett and Gordon will still be on the bench. But there's a there's a niggling feeling in me that we're going to get beat at, at least 3-0 on Saturday. And then what's going to happen is, is that we're going to push the panic button. Everyone's going to come back in. Mackay will be back. Halkett will be back. And Gordon will be back for that St Mirren game. And that St Mirren game will be a massive game for, for Naismith. Yeah. Just thinking back to... was it last season? We had a run where we lost away to Celtic, lost away to Aberdeen. A home game against St Mirren that ended up being Robbie's last. Then the next fixture was away to Hibs. Stephen Naismith took charge. This is the, are we coming full circle? <laughs> I have a I have a very bad feeling, and I to be fair, I always have a bad feeling going to Celtic. But the fact that they just lost to Kamarnik, their fans won't be um, won't be too happy. And I, I, think don't, I don't think they can be as passive as they have been because of that. That's so I think what Rogers I, I was worried they're going to want. Quick to, start, yeah. yeah. That's I think that's the concern for me as well. It's 
sometimes you can look at a team losing a game of football and think, well, it'll it'll dent their confidence. I just don't think that'll happen. And my concern from our point of view is that although we have been okay defensively this season, I think that park will test that in terms of being stretched as a, a unit. And again, I just worry that we don't have the legs in midfield to to sort of manage that and it's just going to be a bit of a, a just a constant sort of bombardment of our, our own third and even with the best will in the world you know I, I think Frankie Kent's been a, a a decent signing for us I think Rolls has been okay this season as well but I just think that the constant pressure it's going to lead to lapses of concentrations and, and I can see us losing three goals quite quite easily but apart yeah. from that yeah I think they might want to. I think they might be making a point of of trying to not just win but um, dismantle us after losing a game. So Mark says two, Scott says three. Why not? I'll say four. Oh jeez! Hey, at least we've got Cic- at least we've got Cicero as a famous Hearts fan, the musician, the singer. They they can keep Snoop Dogg. We've got Cicero. Beat that Celtic. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that'll eat them up. Um, <laughs> well, on that miserable note, wow. <laughs> we really have. It's um, it's been a real come down from the last podcast, hasn't it? It's it has, like, but imagine next Sunday, Monday, the last next po- week. <laughs> yeah, well, you'll be the close master. Imagine next Monday's podcast when we've just beaten Celtic. We've thumped Celtic at Celtic Park. No one's going to know what to say. What are we going to do? What are we going to talk about? How the hell have we done that? And then, um, like in if, Dallas, we wake if, up and it was all a dream. If we win at Celtic Park, what can I, what can we what what can we say we'll do? If we somehow win, at do whatever Celtic you want because it ain't happening. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Well, this has felt like this podcast has felt like the Sunday, like last last week's was the Saturday night out. You know, this is <laughs> you've drunk too much. You and this is a headache. And yeah, you're, on a Sunday. <laughs> you're buzzing, having a few drinks. Everyone's good. Everyone's oh. merry. You can only look at the positive side of things. You know, why would I not want another drink? Why would you not want to go to another pub? Yeah, whatever. And Sunday is just Jesus. Did that happen? <laughs> Saturday night, Sunday morning. Um, oh, no. there you go. Let's hope. Um, yeah, let's hope by next week we can hit the town again. Right, okay, thanks for tuning in if you've made it this uh, thus far. Um, uh, if you do want to get in touch with any um, any comments, or any, anything you want to talk about, it, if you can be positive, that would be nice because obviously you can tell from this week we need it a little bit. You can email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk or you can tweet at Around the Funnel. But if you do have anything else you want to get off your chest, then feel free. Until then, thanks for tuning in. Shoes on it.